All right, would you turn to the book of James this morning? And we're going to read our master text, the book of James. <clears throat> the title of my teaching this morning comes from this passage that we're about to read. Uh, I'm calling this teaching this morning, More Grace. How many of you are interested in getting more grace? <clears throat> now, some people might say, well, you know, grace is grace is grace. It's all the same. No, the Bible says in this passage we're about to read <clears throat> that he gives us more grace in certain situations where we need it. I just quoted to you early in the, the ministry time or the worship time, rather, that um, the Bible tells us that where sin abounds, grace does that much more abound. So, yeah, there are different dispersions, if you will, of God's grace in certain situations. Anyway, on that note, stand with me, if you will, and we're going to go ahead and read the, uh, this passage, James 4, verses 6 through 9. Read with me, if you will, verse 6. But he, God, gives us more grace. There it is. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Let's read verse 10 as well. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat if you will. Praise the Lord. Well, for the last three weeks, we've been talking about living a, a life of thanksgiving. And um, out of that teaching came the concept of honoring God with our bodies. Now, last week we spoke about how God will often require an outward physical act in order to release spiritual reward. I'm going to say that again because that concept applies to today's teaching as well. So last week, I said it then, and I'll repeat it here again today, that God often requires an outward physical act in order to release spiritual reward. And for the last couple of weeks prior to today, we've been talking about how worship is one of those outward physical acts. But there's another one that I want to talk to you about today. Now, those of you that have been in this church for a while, uh, you know that I've said on many occasions that God has commissioned me to talk about four different subjects at least once a year. Four different subjects at least once a year. And those are the gospel, of course, at, at, at least a couple times a year. I'm going to give you an encapsulation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's one. And then, of course, he's in, uh, commissioned me to talk about finances, faith, and also the last one is fasting. So, yay. <laughs> We're going to talk about fasting today. Hallelujah. So let me give you uh, some preliminary thoughts before we get, get into this. Well, first of all, Ecclesiastes 4.12 says that a strand of three cores, or three, uh, a cord of three strands, rather, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Okay? So the combination of giving, prayer, and fasting provides strength, favor, and wisdom in your life that, that a lot of people don't have because they don't practice these things. 
So Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6 says, when you give, and he gives some instructions about how to give, when you pray, not if you pray, and when you fast, not if you fast, but when you fast. Then he goes on to give instructions on how to do it. And I'll give you some of those instructions later on in the teaching. So these three practices are basic expectations of the Christ follower. Giving, praying, and fasting. Three very basic, very fundamental expectations of the Christ follower. This is Christianity 101, if you will. Giving, praying, and fasting. And these three practices, along with the postures of worship that we talked about the last couple of weeks, listen to this, those things serve to break our pride. And that's exactly what most people don't want. See, most people approach their faith and their relationship with the Lord like this. They want to come to the Lord on their terms, okay? They want to come to God on their terms, and as long as nothing is uncomfortable, and as long as it doesn't cost them anything. And folks, that's not humility. See, there are some things that God requires of us simply because they are his tools to break our self-reliance, our independence, and our pride. I want to say that again. There are some things that God requires of us because they are his tools to break our self-reliance, our independence, and our pride. And as most of you know, some of you don't because you're a little bit newer, but if you've been going to this church for more than a year, you know that at the first of every year, at the start of every year, uh, January 2nd or 3rd, uh, whenever your particular holiday celebration is over, you get back to normal, we do a 12-day fast to start the new year. Now, why 12 days? Because it's a day representing each month of the coming year. So we fast for the upcoming year. So we start our year out by tithing a portion of that year, the first part of the year, to God in prayer and fasting. And we'll go over some different ways to fast. I mean, it doesn't have to be a total water fast. So we'll, we'll get into that, okay? So bear with me. Don't panic. Some of you that are newer to our congregation, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about some various different ways to, to fast. But in preparation for that fast that's coming up here in just a few days, it's a couple of weeks after the holidays, I wanted to go ahead and talk about fasting again because it's always good to revisit this subject for the strength and inspiration that talking about this and revisiting this will provide as we get ready to jump into that fast the first part of the year. Because let's face it, our flesh doesn't want to fast. That's why people, you know, most churches don't even touch this subject with a 10-foot pole because most people don't want to hear this because it's uncomfortable to our flesh, but it's a basic expectation of the Christ follower. So if God requires that of us, as a basic expectation of the Christ follower, don't you think we should talk about it now and then? Don't you think we should practice it now and then and be learned in how to go about fasting in a way that's effective and pleases the Lord? Would you agree with that? All right, so let's jump into this a little bit more. So fasting, I want you to understand this concept as we move forward here. Fasting has always been a fundamental part of seeking God. 
See, every notable man and woman of the faith throughout history, up until the present time, they were and are people of fasting and prayer. Let me give you an example of that. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 3, Daniel says, So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, in sackcloth and ashes. Likewise, uh, in Luke, I think your, uh, your notes may say Acts chapter 2. Sorry, it's a misprint, my fault. Uh, it's Luke chapter 2. It's part of the, part of the Christmas story there in, in Luke. It says this, There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. So fasting is is a common practice both in the Old Testament and, yes, also the New Testament. See, fasting was a common practice, not something they did every once in a while, a common practice of the apostles in the first century church, which, of course, provides an example for us today. Here's an example of that in Acts 14, verse 23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And these are only a few of many examples I could have given you from both the Old Testament and the New But I want you to understand that there is a relationship with fasting to quote-unquote mourning. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that here in a moment and talk about the merits of mourning, so to speak. Fasting is a form of mourning, so to speak. So let me explain this. So in Daniel chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, it, it, it describes Daniel's fast. And he says there, in those days I, Daniel, was mourning... For, full, uh, for three full weeks, I ate no rich food, no meat or wine entered my mouth, and I did not anoint myself with oil until the three weeks were completed. Okay? Now, he was mourning because of his petition and prayer. He hadn't lost a loved one. There was nothing necessarily tragic that had happened in his life, and he was mourning for the state of the nation of Israel. That was his mourning. That was his petition and his reason for fasting and prayer. Now, there's other examples of this. One of my favorite examples is the story of Esther. So Esther was a a young Jewish woman who demonstrated this truth beautifully as she sought God fervently in fasting and prayer. And for three days, she ate no food nor even drank any water as she cried out to God for his intervention in a perilous situation. And if you know that story, you know that Esther became queen in this pagan land. And uh, when the Jewish people were under the threat of death, she called a fast of all the Jewish people living in that region. See, they sowed in tears and then God came through for them. So let, let me give you a scriptural reference there for that phrase, sowed in tears, as it relates to fasting. So in Psalm 126, verse 5, it says, those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. What's that mean? Humbling yourself, seeking God with prayer, petition, fasting, and even tears, yes. And it says that those who sow in tears like that, everything is sowing and reaping, right? 
So those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. So because the Jewish people in Esther's time sowed in tears and because God heard them and came through for them, they reaped with shouts of joy as they routed their enemies. Praise God. Now, folks, listen. Sometimes perilous times call for drastic measures. You know, the lazy way that most people approach prayer and worship in this church culture in America is not going to be enough to affect breakthrough in these perilous times. See, some of you, for example, have had terrible situations with your kids, things that look like life or death situations. And when death is staring you in the face, it's time to grab a hold of the horns of the altar, so to speak, and not let go until you have your answer. And fasting is one of the ways that we do that. Now, let me give you a few other concepts here about fasting that I hope will encourage you. Fasting is a way that we get God's assignment for our lives. See, every assignment and every call of God starts here with fasting. Let me explain what I mean here. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, to present our bodies as living sacrifices. And if you've never done a, just a full water fast, you understand that phraseology of, you know, if you, I should say if you have done a full water fast, you understand that phraseology of presenting your body as a living sacrifice. Because that feels exactly like what you're doing. You're laying yourself down on the altar as a living sacrifice. Okay, but, but and fasting is a way that we can do that, is to present our bodies as living sacrifices. But I want to also deal with this concept here. Fasting keeps us sensitive to God's spirit, enabling us to live holy, gives us strength for holy living, gives us grace for holy living, and helping us to discern his perfect, pleasing will, which, by the way, Romans 12, 1 and 2 goes on to talk about. When we present our bodies like this in a, as a living sacrifice, then we'll, we will be able to discern God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Don't you want that? Don't you want to discern God's pleasing and perfect will for your life? Is anybody awake? Am I the only one? Okay, you want to discern God's pleasing and perfect will for your life, don't you? Yes. All right, if you're smart, you do anyway. Well, a little bit of history behind that, behind uh, a, little, a few examples, rather, of how fasting will set the stage for you discovering the assignment for your life and the de destiny for your life. See, the Apostle Paul is a great example of this because Paul was fasting when God called him and gave him the assignment for his life in Acts chapter 9. And Peter was fasting and praying on the rooftop when God gave him a vision and told him to take the gospel to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 10. So fasting prepares the, uh, prepares the way for God to give you a, a fresh revelation, a fresh vision, and a clear purpose for your life. A lot of people, you know, have this question they grapple with. What's God's will for my life? What's his plan for my life? And fasting is a way that you can get some clarity on those things. You seek God and get his will for your life. You know, when I was contemplating asking Donna to marry me, I was a young man that was fairly young in the Lord, and I knew the life-changing implications of getting married. 
It's not something you enter lightly. Life-changing implications, and I didn't want to make a mistake. And how many of you know that, you know, when you're kind of, you know, have the goosebumps for somebody, that it can be all, oh, oh, my goodness, butterflies in my stomach and all that. Well, your emotions can be very misleading if you let them. You need a word from the Lord. So, you know what I did before I asked Donna to marry me? I fasted and I prayed. And 30 years later, we're still married. Yeah. And she hasn't killed me. So, wonderful on both sides. Praise God. Okay. So again, I want to say that fasting uh, prepares the way for God to give you a fresh revelation, a fresh vision, and a clear purpose for your life. If you have some questions you don't quite know how to work out, fast and pray. Here's another uh, uh, little factoid or a little kind of side direction that I want to go with this teaching right here with a quote from Jensen Franklin's book on fasting, which is excellent, by the way. A little bit of a different direction I want to take here for a moment um, with this quote. But uh, Jensen Franklin says, I'm convinced that we will never walk in the perfect will of God until we seek him through fasting. When you present your, yourself, uh, when you present yourself, your body in this manner, you open yourself up to hear from God. You will prove or discover God's perfect will for your life. See, some people wonder why they can't ever hear from God, why they can't ever sense God's direction or sense his presence or his voice, and they never connect it with fasting or the lack thereof. So some of you uh, engineers in the room understand that for every action, there's a reaction, right? The same is true in the spiritual world. For every action, there's a reaction. When you fast and pray, there's a reaction from heaven where fasting is concerned. You start to become more clear in hearing from the Lord and sensing his direction. That's one of the benefits of fasting. But let me give you a few other compelling reasons to fast here. Are you okay so far? All right? Okay. The next one is this. Real simple concept. If Jesus needed it, you need it. <laughs> if Jesus needed to fast, the Son of God, you, needed to fa- you need to fast. See, the Son of God knew that there were and are supernatural things that can only be released this way through fasting. I'm going to say that again. There are supernatural things that can only be released this way through fasting. If the Son of God needed it, you and I need it. Luke 6.40, as a matter of fact, on that point, says that a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. Do you want to be like Jesus? Fast. And the more of your flesh and your carnality will be chiseled off of you when you do that, and you will become conformed to the image of Christ, like the Bible tells us. Okay? You know, listen, I'm going to qualify something here. If you want to, you can go bumping along in your life just like you are right now and probably still make it to heaven. But there's a different level of living that a lifestyle of fasting will open up to you. 
I have a brother-in-law, Donna's oldest brother, who uh, likes the guitar. He likes to plunk around on the guitar, but by his own admission, he's not very good. And and, uh, I remember, I think it was one Christmas, he brought his guitar over and we played a little bit and he plunked around and he almost kind of embarrassingly plunked around on a little bit and, and said, you know, admitted, you know, I'm not very good, and, but I, I like the guitar. I'd love to learn how to play the guitar. But he admitted that he just didn't commit himself to practicing when he was younger, just couldn't commit himself to the discipline of practicing when he was younger. Now, I'm leading up to a point here, but I'm also going to mention that um, several of us here in the church went to see the Christmas concert put on recently uh, with Stephen Curtis Chapman. And we had a really good seat, and I was, we were up close, and I could, you know, I could kind of tell what he was doing on the guitar. And I leaned over to Donna, and I said, he is a really good guitar player. Well, see, my point in bringing that up is, you know, lots of people would, like my brother-in-law, lots of people would love to learn how to play the guitar like Stephen Curtis Chapman or compose like Beethoven, but precious few are willing to make the sacrifices necessary to bring those desires into reality. See, listen, if you want to get to the next level, folks, in anything, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. It's going to cost you something. If you want to get to the next level in anything, it's going to cost you something. You're going to have to make some sacrifices. You're going to have to put in the time when other people are out doing things that seem a lot more fun. But you've got your nose to the the grindstone working out this different skill set in your life that if you keep at that, you'll have that skill set that a lot of people wish they had, but they don't have because they didn't commit to the sacrifice and the discipline of practicing and refining that skill like you did. All right, so how, how does that relate to our topic this morning? Well... The ones who make sacrifices now for the sake of their spiritual lives, folks, are going to be the ones who survive and not just survive, but even thrive when the storms of life hit. While those who are simply interested in fun and comfort will get swept away by the storms of life and when temptation presents itself. And when those storms of life sweep through, the house that's built on the sand will fall with a great crash. But when those storms sweep through, the house that's built upon the rock will still be standing after the storm passes. And people who have a lifestyle of prayer and fasting build their houses upon the rock and dig their foundations down deep so that when those storms of life come, and they will, you'll still be standing and stronger for the experience after those storms of life sweep by. Praise God. Here's another benefit of fasting. It raises the awareness of the spiritual and sweeps out unproductive worldly thinking. See, it tends to clear out the cobwebs of the mind. It can cause your focus, your spiritual focus, to become razor sharp. Praise God. So do you struggle with your thought life? Fast and pray and soak your mind in the word of God. Be cleansed through the washing of water through the word of God. Prayer and fasting. Hallelujah. Here's another one. Fasting is a form 
of drawing near to God. And see, I love this because when you're fasting, even when you're not sitting with your Bible open and reading your Bible or when you're not alone praying, maybe you're working. I mean, we still got to make a living and go to work while we're fasting. But even, even while you're working and you're fasting, that's still an ongoing prayer to God, even when you're not praying because you're working. But it's an ongoing prayer to God. It's an ongoing drawing near to the Lord when you're fasting. James 4.8 says, and this is part of our master text, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What a wonderful promise. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And fasting is a way that we do just that. We cleanse our hands, purify our hearts, so that we become single-minded, not double-minded. Are you with me? Okay, here we go. Matthew 5, 6 tells us that blessed are those, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If you have that desire for righteousness, that, and if you, I mean, that word desire there, you know, that's, a, that's an active word. It's not just a feeling. It's something that drives you to do something. That's what a desire is. It drives you to actually do something. Those blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, unless you hunger for righteousness in that way, folks, you'll never allow yourself to be physically hungry. I'm going to say that again. Unless you hunger and thirst after righteousness, you're never going to allow yourself to be physically hungry. Because your flesh is going to dominate you all the time. And see, this is a way fasting is a way to tell your flesh to shut up and sit down. Because you're not in charge. See, most of us, most people in the church culture, they're, most people are so carnal, they're not, not that much different than the rest of the world. Their carnal desires is like a hook in their nose that leads them around every which way. And they follow after it just like that. The, the, the flesh says turn this way, and that's exactly what they do. The flesh says turn that way, that's exactly what they do. But fasting is a way to get the hook out of your nose and tell your flesh, shut up, sit down, be quiet, you're not in charge. My spirit is in charge, and my spirit submits to Jesus. Praise God. All right, I'm not done yet. A few other thoughts for you. Fasting is a way of, quote, standing in the gap, if you understand that term, standing in the gap. And I'm going to give you a scriptural reference for that here in a moment. It's actually referenced on your bulletin, on the, uh, the cover, but I'm going to give you the whole passage in context here in a moment. But before I do, I want to explain that there were two men in the Bible, Abraham and Moses, who petitioned God on behalf of other people who were in sin. I'm going to say that again. Moses and Abraham were two people in the Bible who petitioned God on behalf of other people who were in sin. And the book of Ezekiel tells us that God looks for those kinds of people who will petition him and stand in the gap on behalf of someone else. Now, let me explain what I mean and give you the, the scriptural reference for that term, stand in the gap. It's found 
in Ezekiel 22, verses 39 through 41. So let's read this together. It says, The people of the land, this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, the people of the land practice extortion and commit robbery. They oppress the poor and needy and mistreat the foreigner, denying them justice. I looked for someone, God says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. So I will pour out my wrath on them and consume them with my fiery anger, bringing down on their own heads all they have done, declares the sovereign Lord. So the thing I want to emphasize about that passage is, again, the book of Ezekiel, this passage in particular, says that God looks for these kinds of people who will stand in the gap and petition him on behalf of other people. But let's also notice that here we see that God's love and his justice operating simultaneously. Now, let me emphasize, God prefers love and mercy. That's his preference. He prefers love and mercy. But because he's perfectly just, he will allow people and nations to experience the natural consequences of their own bad choices. Now, back in Old Testament times, we see God judging nations a lot. He not only judged the nation of Israel, but he judged some of the pagan nations around them. Now, here in the age of grace, you know, I heard someone say, if God doesn't destroy the United States of America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. And I would respectfully disagree with that statement. And here's why. In Sodom and Gomorrah, um, it's Abraham that petitioned God on behalf of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he said, "If, if you can find even 50 people righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah, will you not destroy it for the sake of 50? And God said, okay, I won't destroy it if I can find 50 people in in those two twin cities. And then Abraham whittled him down to 10 people. And Abraham was thinking, surely there's 10 people because, you know, my own family's, you know, my lot, my my nephew and his family's there. So surely them and a few other folks, surely there was 10. They couldn't even find 10. God couldn't even find 10. So he destroyed uh, those, those cities. Well, in America, we don't just have 10 people. We probably have 10 million or more righteous, probably a lot more than that, the people that are crying out to God for mercy and fasting and praying and standing in the gap. Yeah. Hallelujah. So we live in the new covenant age of grace, folks. Now, that doesn't mean that God won't allow us to experience the consequences of our own bad choices. He does that because he... he, he Look, we've got free will. We can violate his principles if we want to, and the law of sowing and reaping will work against us. But if we begin fasting and praying and standing in the gap, then the law of sowing and reaping can begin to work for us. Does that make sense? Notice thirdly in this passage that that God responds to the prayers of his people when we stand in the gap for both individuals and nations. Now, let's apply this to the modern age for a second. See, God is looking for people who will stand in the gap and pray for this nation so that we don't destroy ourselves. And God is looking for people who will stand in the gap for individuals as well. So when year after year drags on 
and your family members don't seem to be budging in terms of their spiritual condition, maybe it's time to stand in the gap by adding fasting to your prayers. See, maybe it's time to get bulldog determined in your prayers by setting aside your indulgences for a while so that you can seek God more intensely. You know, last year I was uh, persecuted verbally. Nobody beat me up, but nobody threw me in jail. But I was persecuted verbally by a family member who I shared the gospel with. And it was an extended family member. It was nobody right within my own home. Um, you know, sometimes I do joke with Donna, why don't you get saved? But no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. This was, <laughs> this was an extent. Uh, <laughs> this was an extended family member who I shared the gospel with somebody that doesn't know the Lord. And, um, you know, this person had a very hurtful reaction to that. And, but I obeyed Jesus's command. And, uh, I said, um, and Jesus, by the way, said to pray for those who persecute you. Right. So I obeyed that command. And as I was praying for this person, I felt like the Lord spoke something to my heart that really put things in perspective for me. He reminded me that this person had a concerned mother who prayed for her when this mother was still alive. But now that this mother is in heaven, those prayers aren't being offered any longer. So it was like the Lord was asking me, is there anyone in this person's life now who is standing in the gap? Does this person have anyone who's offering up prayers for this person's salvation? And I felt like the Lord was saying to me, will you be that person? I felt strongly the Lord was saying to me, can I count on you, Andy, to continue what this person's mother did by, when she was still alive by standing in the gap for this person? Are you able to overlook the offense and, and be my servant who will pray for this person. Mm. And folks, God may be saying something to each of you right now that's something that's very similar regarding someone in your life. Can he count on you to be the person that stands in the gap for someone else just as someone stood in the gap for you at one time in your life? And can he count on you to stand in the gap for this nation? And on that note, this is another benefit of fasting right here, that fasting sets the stage for revival. Joel 2.28 says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. I often like to say that when I have a dream, it's not actually a dream, it's a night vision because I'm a young man. Why'd you laugh so hard about that? Come on. Work with me. Work with me, folks. Okay. 
your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. So God was going to pour out revival and reveal his will afterward. Afterward. Well, after what? After a fast. See, Israel was in sin and God was calling them to repentance through fasting. If you read in that same chapter, if you back up a little bit in verse 15, it says, blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a sacred assembly. And then when people do that, when the nation of Israel would, would call that fast in a sacred assembly and repent before God, then he made a promise, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And by the way, this kind of has a double meaning because this is also prophesying to the time after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection because this happened on the day of Pentecost and is still happening today. We're living in this time right now, but we need to consecrate a fast maybe on behalf of this nation, so that more of our sons and daughters will prophesy and more of our old men will dream dreams from heaven and lead this nation in repentance. All right, well, I've given you several spiritual benefits of fasting, but I want to give you some physical benefits of fasting right now. I gave you this uh, same list in a teaching that I did several weeks ago on a different topic. And when we talked about uh, caring for your temple, caring for your body, and fasting is a good way to boost one's health as well. So I just want to give you this really quickly. I'm just going to zip through this very quickly. The eight reasons, uh, this is out of Healthline, by the way, uh, an article called Eight Health Benefits of Fasting Backed by Science. So I'm just going to go through these real quick. Uh, Better blood sugar control fights inflammation. Enhances heart health by improving blood pressure, triglycerides, and cholesterol levels. Boosts brain function and prevents neurodegenerative disorders like Alzheimer's and dementia. Uh, aids in weight loss by limiting calorie intake and boosting metabolism. Increases growth hormone secretion, which is vital for growth, metabolism, weight loss, and muscle strength. Cancer prevention and also may extend long in the field of health and longevity, they all talk about the benefits of fasting, okay? So if, there's, if, you, if you apply it in a spiritual sense, it's going to have spiritual benefits for you as well. All right, let me give you some practical instructions here about fasting. And first of all, I just want to state, state that it's not all or nothing. What do I mean by that? Well, it, if it means something to you, it means something to God. For example... Some people feel like that if they can't do a full 40-day Jesus fast, they're not going to fast at all. And that's not the case. If it means something to you, it means something to God. And the reverse is also true. If eliminating only a few foods may not seem that meaningful to some people, but once again, you don't have to do a full 40-day Jesus water fast in order to fast well. Esther did her fast for three days. And Daniel did a 21-day fast where he ate fruits and vegetables, apparently, but just avoided meat and wine and kind of the, the sweet stuff, the goodies. So that's the way Daniel did his fast. So there's various ways to do your fast. So, so I just encourage you to do something for some period of time. 
Okay, so if, for example, you have a, one of those big Slurpees every day, which, by the way, you know, one can of soda pop, this is a side note, one can of soda pop has 11, count them, 11 teaspoons of sugar in it. 11. That's a can. Imagine how many grams of sugar a big Slurpee has. It's obscene how much sugar is in those things. So if you, if you just, if you're addicted to that, maybe a good idea would be, you know what, I'm going to set aside this big Slurpee that I drink every day, and I'm, I'm not going to do that anymore for this, this period of time. If it means something to you, if you're addicted to it, if that means something to you, it means something to God. Okay? So there's various ways to do this. Um, but I also want to tell you, when you fast, um, don't be wimpy about it either. You know, if, you're, you know if, if your habit is to eat Twinkies every day, and you say, I'm just going to eliminate my Twinkies. Okay, that's a good start, but come on. We could probably do better than that, right? And by the way, I just, this is a side note too. Some people have said, well, can, um, uh, can I fast TV? Yeah, that's probably good too, to fast TV. But the, the definition of a fast in the Bible, folks, always pertains to food. Always, without exception. And you'll notice, as I have, that when you eliminate these foods, your body may suffer, but your spirit is becoming stronger. Uh, make no mistake, if you do a fast and you do it right, your body's going to rebel. Your body's going to let you know about it. Hey, hey, um, pardon me, um, where's my three o'clock snack? Right? Your body will rebel. Your body's going to tell you about it, but that's, again, where you say, sit down and shut up. You're not in control. We, listen, uh, you, you tell your body this. Maybe you're set to go three days, and your body's like, I will never survive three days. Okay, now we're going to go four. <clears throat> and your body's like, I, I will be dead by the morning of the fourth day. <laughs> and you say, okay, fine, we'll go five. And your body will learn to stop talking to you in the negative uh, after a period of time. And I'll just give you a little, uh, a little hint. Um, if you do a total water fast, that sounds like nearly impossible to some people. But seriously, by about the end of the second day, your hunger mechanism shuts down. And your body starts feeding on itself. It will draw energy from your own fat cells. And you're feeding on yourself. You're, you're, you're not going to die. Okay? You will not die. Okay? So um, I've experienced this where, you know, by, the, by the, uh, the second day, that hunger mechanism shuts down. And seriously, by day three or four total water fast, I'm feeling great. I, seriously, I mean, like my mental clarity perks up, my energy gets better. And uh, it really is amazing what fasting does for you. Anyway, I'm not going to give you a science lesson today. I'm just, I'm just telling you, you won't die. As a matter of fact, if you can get through that first day or two or three, you're going to start feeling really, really good, especially if you do that total water fast where that hunger mechanism is forced to shut down. Because if, if you're doing a Daniel fast, that hunger mechanism doesn't ever quite shut down because you're still putting some food in there. I can tell you all are really excited about this topic right now. <laughs> hey, listen, all right, we're not starting our fast today. You get to go out and eat today. But I'm, just pre I'm preparing you for after the first of the year, okay? 
So again, I've noticed that when my body is suffering, my spirit's becoming stronger. So in preparation for that upcoming fast after the first of the year, let me provide just two or three tips here for you about fasting that'll help you, okay? And this is right from the scriptures too. The first one is don't advertise it. Don't advertise it. So you don't go out and you don't, well... In fact, let me just read this, and then we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit. Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus speaking. He says, when you fast, not if, but when you fast, do not be somber like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting. Now, what would be disfiguring your face look like? It's sort of like this. Okay, well, everybody look up here. It'd be sort of like this. Hey, Andy, what's going on? Oh, uh, I'm okay. I'm doing okay. Are, are you sick? No, I'm fasting. No, don't do that. Okay? That's, that's, if you do it that way, if you, if you present yourself in such a way to make it obvious that you're fasting so as to impress people with your level of spirituality, that's the only reward you're going to get with your fasting. Let's read on. Um, truly I tell you, they already have their reward. That's what that means. If you're just trying to impress people with your fasting, that's your reward. You won't get anything else beyond that. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be obvious to men, but only to your father who is unseen. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He rewards what's done in secret. Now, by the way, side note, <laughs> if you're sitting down with a meal to somebody because it's a family gathering or a business meeting or some sort, and you know, you're not having anything to eat, because I've had this situation happen to me before, um, and, and somebody will point blank ask me, um, how come you're not eating? And some people are almost insulted by that if you're sitting down with them and you're not eating with them. And so then it's okay. Well, I'm fasting right now. That's okay. But you're not advertising because somebody asks you point blank, don't lie, for goodness sake. Um, and, or, and somebody, uh, there's a, been a few of my, uh, my clients before who are Christian people as well, and I'll, I'll sit down and I'll bring them a, a lunch in for our meeting, and then I'm not eating anything, and then they'll just point blank, act, point blank ask me, are you fasting? And I said, yeah, I'm fasting today. Oh, okay, then we'll move on. So you don't have to lie about it, but just don't advertise it. That's the point. Okay, next one is don't be in conflict with anyone during your fast. Now, we ought to endeavor to not be in conflict with anyone ever, but especially not during your fast. Because Isaiah 58 verses 3 and 4 speaks to this. They were asking God, why haven't you responded to our fasting? And God gives them a reason. Verse 3, why have we fasted and you have not seen why have we humbled ourselves? See, that's, that's part of fasting too. It's a way to humble yourself. Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not noticed? Behold, on the day of your fast, you do as you please. You fast with contention and strife. You cannot fast as you do today and have your voice be heard on high. You can fast until you starve to death, but if you don't do it with the right attitude and with the right relationships while you're fasting, you're not going to get what you'd hoped in your fasting. So that's another one too. Try to get along with people. Yeah, I know that your flesh is going to rebel a little bit and every little thing is going to get on your last nerve. Let me promise you 
That's going to happen the first few days, and you're going to be tempted to have a short fuse with people, but guard yourself. And if you have to, go isolate yourself from your family in another room so that you don't feel tempted to verbally regurgitate on someone, okay? So just watch yourself on that one. All right, third and finally, give even more during your fast. And that principle is also talked about in Isaiah 58. Just a few verses later in 6 and 7, it says this, isn't this the fast that I have chosen? Here's what God, how God wants it to look like. To break the chains of wickedness, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and tear off every yoke. Isn't it to share your bread with the hungry, to bring the poor and homeless into your home, to clothe the naked when you see him, and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? That is the fast that God has chosen. All right, I'm almost done. I want to give you a, a few really interesting quotes here. Uh, from a young pastor by the name of David Platt. Uh, and I really like him. And uh, he has some good things to say on this subject. And I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of scriptures and we're going to close. So here's what David Platt has to say about fasting. He says, in fasting, what we are saying is that more than we enjoy food, we enjoy God. Fasting is feasting on fellowship with God. And he goes on to say, our relationship with God in prayer should look like a consuming addiction in our lives, not a convenient addition to our lives. And that consuming addiction will involve fasting in your praying. And then he goes on to say, God delights in revealing himself to those who are bold enough to bother him. Don't you like that? All right, this is my last slide, a couple, uh, couple of scriptures for you as we talk about the merits of affliction. Again, everything's sowing and reaping in the kingdom of God. You sow in tears, you reap with shouts of joy. We read that scripture. Um, but Luke 6.21 says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. See, that's that sowing and reaping. Since we quoted Psalm 126.5 earlier, let's look at that again as our final scripture today. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Folks, there's so many reasons to fast. Are you dealing with a, an addictive behavior of some sort? A sin that's dogged you for a long time? Maybe it's time to fast and break that thing. Break the power of that thing off of you. Do you have a family member who you've been praying for for a long time? Maybe it's time to add fasting to your prayers. How you've been praying for our nation and you feel very discouraged by what you see around us. Maybe it's time to add fasting to your prayers for this nation and petition God on behalf of other people and for this nation. Praise God. Would you stand with me? You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.